welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. If they're anything like me, I always ask the question, like, does the preacher make the same jokes and do the same things in both services? Yes. The answer is yes. It is all scripted. Here it is. So we're in this sermon series talking about our new mission statement that our elders just adopted, which is we glorify God and make disciples by connecting people to Christ through small acts of great love every day. It was super helpful and really cute last week. Pastor Tim shared a video of Grayson performing and singing through our mission statement. And so this week, I asked if my boys would do it, and they just wanted to wrestle and sing about dinosaurs. And so you won't be seeing any videos from my boys uh, this week. This morning, I have the privilege of teaching you the CPC portion of our mission statement, which is connecting people to Christ, CPC. So get ready. You are going to hear that phrase a bunch this morning. Uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Reed had mentioned that he was excited because he got to preach on the best part of our mission statement, and I would disagree with him. I think I get the best part of our mission statement, which is to, to connect people to Christ, because for me, I think that is a main way that we get to glorify God is through connecting people to Christ. Because the more people we connect to his son, then it's just, it's straight math. The more people that will be able to glorify God for all of eternity, right? Does that make sense? It's just addition. The more we can get in the kingdom with us, the more that are gonna be glorifying God and singing his praises for all of eternity. I wanna start off by saying something that I think is really important for me to mention. Our mission statement says that we glorify God and make disciples by connecting people to Christ through small acts of great love every day. I want to point out the priority of connecting people to Christ. If we don't do this first part, connect people to Christ, then the other part, small acts of great love, they actually lose their real purpose, their real power. And I hope to convince you of this throughout the sermon. So we're going to be looking at two passages this morning. The first passage we are considering today is in Mark 2. Um, Amanda preached on this a few years back. It's a famous story about friends who stopped at nothing to connect someone to Christ. So open up your Bibles to Mark 2. We're going to start in verse 1. While you're turning there, I will pray for us. Lord, we ask now that you would speak like only you can speak as we gather here together. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would tune our ears to hear your voice ever so clearly. We ask that you would turn our hearts to you so that we might experience all that you have for us. I ask that the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you. Jesus, be glorified and magnified in this place. Amen. Mark 2, starting in verse 1. 
And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. In this, only the second chapter of Mark's gospel, Jesus' ministry has begun with a flurry. And this is typical of Mark's writing. He, he writes as if he is someone that is just so excited to put pen to paper and tell everyone all the stories of Jesus. And one of his favorite words is immediately. Immediately did this, Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. I used to tell my middle school students, it's like he had a bunch of Mountain Dew and just went to town. So that's how Mark's, it's the shortest gospel, and it just powers through everything. Just in Mark 1 alone, he's already uh, recounted these things. Jesus' baptism, his temptation, his calling of the first disciples, the beginning of his healing ministry, his dominance over evil spirits, and Jesus' emphasis on his preaching. And Jesus has come, become so famous that he actually has to run away for a little while and hide out from the crowds. But that only lasted a few days, and we pick it up in Mark 2. Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news got out that he was back in town. It's interesting here that Mark says Jesus was at home. Jesus seems to have moved to Capernaum and set up this place as his home base for his ministry to Galilee. And I find it fascinating that while Jesus is in his own home, this is where the crowd finds him. And what's more, Jesus allows them in, right? And this isn't just a few dinner guests. This is dozens of people crammed into his humble abode to the point where they are spilling outside of the door. And I want you to notice what has brought this, this crowd, what Jesus is doing with them. He's preaching to them. He's teaching them the word of God. Now in verse three, Mark tells us that a group of four men have come to Jesus's house carrying another man who is paralyzed. Now we can imagine for a moment what life would have been like for this man. He had no physical autonomy. If he wanted to get somewhere, he had to call on people to carry him to that place. He had no way of providing for himself or for a family. So we can only assume that he either had a group of people who were taking care of him or he had resorted to begging. And then on top of all of that, this man must have lived under an unbelievable weight of shame. 
See, during that time, the commonly held Jewish belief was that this man's condition was the direct result of his sins or his parents' sins. Can you imagine how that must have made him feel? Everyone in the community just passed by, shaking their head, assuming that he or his family must have done something so horrible that God brought this painful existence upon this man. But praise God that there were four men who were willing to lift this man up and bring him to Christ. Now, we don't know the exact relationship between these men and the paralytic, but Mark's testimony proves that this group was willing to do whatever it took to get to Christ. We see this when they encounter this crowd and realize that they weren't going to be able to get him closer to Jesus. And I'm sorry, but lesser men would have absolutely just stopped there, placed the man down, patted themselves on the back and said, well, we did our part. We can just leave him here now. But in a striking display of just audacious perseverance, the four men climbed onto the roof, dragged up a paralytic man on top with them, then I can just picture them as they walk along the top of the roof and they're trying to find the exact place where Jesus' voice is the loudest. And once they locate that spot, they just start digging together. And then they make a hole big enough to lower an entire human male down through the ceiling. Jesus is at home and there's a hole in his wall. And what does he notice? It doesn't say that he noticed that there's, there's dudes just digging a hole in his ceiling. He notices their faith. And in response to their faith, this is what Jesus tells the paralytic. He tells the paralytic man that he is forgiven. His sins are forgiven. Now, I used to assume when I would teach this text that they might have been disappointed by Jesus's response. They might have expected to receive a physical healing instead. But as I mentioned earlier, this man lived under an immense amount of shame because of his condition. And when Jesus offers him forgiveness, I can't help but think that that must have been like a cold rushing water to his parched soul. We don't know exactly what this man was hoping for, but rest assured that he got exactly what he needed. The religious leaders who were in attendance were shocked by Jesus' words. They asked the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? And to this, Jesus responds by performing a sign. I call it a sign because it's much more than a miracle. Jesus heals the paralytic man as a sign pointing to his authority. Basically, Jesus is answering their question. He's saying, yeah, you're right. Only God can forgive sins. And I'm him, and I forgive his sins. And so the man, having received a new life, both forgiven and healed, gets up, and makes his way through the crowd, out the door, walking on his own two feet. And the people were amazed, and their natural response was to glorify God 
Do you see how connecting people to Christ always brings glory to God? And that is what our church is all about. Now, I chose to use this story from scripture, but there are many others like it. Jesus was constantly performing great acts of love. He healed many. He fed the poor. He stood up for those who suffered injustices. But there was always a deeper purpose behind these very important ministries. He did not simply do these things in order to be generous or philanthropic. It was almost always linked with his teaching about the kingdom of God. His aim was to connect people to himself and to glorify his father. He knew that the real need for humankind was a relationship with God through him. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to John 15 now. So we're going to hear this from Jesus himself, this all-important message from Jesus himself about why it is vital that we are connected to Christ. John 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, by my count, a variation of that Greek word meno is used 10 times in those 11 verses. Our translation translates it as abide, means to stay, to remain, to be in close union with, to be in a state that begins and continues. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like being connected closely to something. Jesus is telling us to be connected to him. And Jesus is making it clear that if we want abundant life now and eternal life after death, then we must be connected to him. So when we say as a church that we want to make disciples by connecting people to Christ, then we are saying two very important things about discipleship. First, each of us needs to stay connected to Christ. Do not forget this essential part before you go on mission, before you start doing things for Jesus. The first thing that we need to do is be connected and rooted in Jesus. He must be our source for life and love and joy because what does Jesus say? Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. It's pretty clear. 
We must remain rooted to the vine in order to produce any sort of worthwhile fruit. Second, and this has been the main focus of this sermon, a true disciple of Christ desperately wants to see others connected to Jesus. We should want to produce fruit that multiplies and flourishes. Our hearts should be troubled by the notion that we are surrounded by branches that are disconnected from the vine and will be thrown into the fire because of this. Additionally, these branches are deprived of the joy that comes from knowing the true vine and the vine dresser in this life. St. Augustine wrote these words over 1,600 years ago. Thou, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We are surrounded by a world filled with restless souls who do not have the one thing that will satisfy them, a relationship with their creator. Our hearts should break more for that than they do even for those who are hungry and without shelter and who are marginalized. We should care more about healing a person's status before God than we do about their sickness or even their suffering. And I know that's hard. As a pastor, that is even hard for me to say because we immediately want to provide for people's physical needs because for one reason, one reason we do that is because it's more measurable that way. We can, we can measure our success of that. Also, it makes us feel good. That's a, that's a gift from God that the more we serve, the better we feel. And also we do it because Jesus tells us to do it. But I wanna be extra clear here. I'm not setting this up as an either or, but instead as a both and. We should be a church that is all about taking care of the least and the lonely. But let us also seek to partner with Christ in saving the lost. Now, let me share an example with you of how all of this can work together. Several months ago, we began a college-age uh, gathering. Every Sunday night, right out on this patio, about a dozen of us uh, gather and we, we talk about life and we study scripture together. A few of these students recently started to uh, minister to the homeless population on the peninsula. So every couple of weeks, they'll, they'll pack up some lunches and they'll go out to Monterey and Seaside. Awesome, right? Do you know why they do that? Yeah, of course, they want to be a conduit for Christ's love. Yes, of course, they want to be generous with the things that God's given them. And yes, of course, they simply want to feed people who are hungry. But above all of that, they want people to be connected to Christ. About five weeks ago, a young man began attending our meetings. This past week, I found out how he got plugged into our group. A few of our kids saw him outside of McDonald's holding a sign asking for money. They were struck by seeing someone their own age in this situation. And so they had compassion. They went over to him, talked to him, learned his name, got his phone number, and one of them offered him a ride to our college group. He's been there every week since, five weeks. 
You see, it isn't just about feeding the physically hungry. They want this young man to know the bread of life. They want him to be connected to Christ. They have continued hanging out with him and sharing the gospel with him. They genuinely care for him as a brother and wish to provide genuine community for him. And I want to be clear, he isn't a project to them. They want him in the family of God. They want him to know real, true community and the love of his heavenly father. Friends, this is our new mission statement in action. We are on a mission to connect people to Christ. I told you I'd begin to say that a lot this morning. So if you hear anything else from this morning, you will remember that part of our mission statement. Jesus did not come so that everyone could be happy and healthy. I'm sorry, okay? That's not why he came, so that everyone could be happy and healthy. He came in order to do what he did for the paralytic man, to offer forgiveness for sins. For those of us who have experienced this forgiveness, we know that there is nothing like it that the world can offer us. It's the ultimate thing. It's the thing that matters the most to be freed from our shame and our guilt and to know that we are forgiven, that we are seen, that we are loved, that he knows us intimately and still chooses us. There's nothing better. And this is what sets us apart from all of the amazing secular nonprofits that care so well for people. We realize as a church that all of the food, clothing, shelter, and medical care in the world is not going to meet the spiritual need of a person. We realize that Christ came for a specific purpose, to make a pathway for people to be in relationship with God for all of eternity. I'm gonna stop right here and I wanna warn you to not take any of this out of context. Pastor Tim will be speaking more about small acts of great love next week. I want to tell you that the gospel is not just to be preached. It is to be lived out. We do need to care for the world in very practical ways. We need to serve and we need to love. And I genuinely believe with all my heart that this church does that extremely well. But my goal this morning is to challenge us to do it more and to do it for the right reasons. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As Christian, there is really only one motivation, one reason why we should do something, and that's to bring glory to God. We do everything in the name of Jesus because we are his ambassadors here on earth. We recognize that all of our resources, our talents, our treasures, they're from God anyway. So we use them in order to serve his kingdom. And as I've been saying this morning, connecting people to Christ is one of, if not the most important aspects of God's kingdom. Many of you already know this, but Carmel Prez has amazing deacons here. And our deacons do an amazing job of caring for both our community inside of this church and outside of our church. 
But I like this question recently they've been asking of themselves. Whenever they consider a new project or something to resource, how they were going to spend their resources, they ask this question. What is the redemptive potential of this? They want to ensure that their acts of love have a strategic component that aims to connect people to Christ. Now, what if you began to ask yourself a similar question? What is the redemptive potential or purposes of your actions? How do you spend your time or your money in the hopes that people might be connected to Christ? Is this even a goal of yours? Because it should be. Furthermore, how do you function like these four men who went above and beyond in order to bring the paralytic man and place him at the feet of Jesus? I believe that each person here should have one person, at least one person in your life that you're praying for and that you're witnessing to in hopes that they might be connected to Christ. Now, I'm not gonna tell you exactly how to do any of these things. Like I said, next week, Pastor Tim will go into more detail on how you can specifically connect people to Christ through small acts of great love every day. In the meantime, I want you to pray this week. I want you to pray that God would give you a heart for the lost. And I want you to pick one of the four gospels and just read through it. One week to read through a gospel and study Jesus's life and ministry and see what he is all about and what his kingdom is all about. That's my challenge to you. Finally, I end this sermon with a very important theological truth that I probably could have woven throughout, but I decided just to keep it at the end. So hear this. Connecting people to Christ is not dependent on you. Ultimately, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, but God chooses to partner with us in bringing people to himself. That's crazy. That's amazing. That not only does he save us, but then he gives us a purpose that has eternal ramifications. It's an unbelievable demonstration of his grace upon us, that he would take us, lost, broken, sinful individuals, restore us, and then say, hey, come with me. Let's do this together. That's the God we serve. In a moment, we as a church will connect with Christ in a very real spiritual way. We'll partake of a sacrament that draws us near to our Savior. And I'm reminded of this amazing act of love that Jesus performed, and it appears in all four of the Gospels. Jesus, preaching to a great crowd, notices that they have gone a long time without eating. And in his goodness and in his provision, he decides to perform a miracle and feed the multitudes. But in John 6, Jesus gives deeper meaning and purpose for this miracle. He said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he goes on to say, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal 
eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is why Jesus came. To cure the disease of sin that has plagued humankind since the beginning. He is our spiritual sustenance and our pathway to God. So come, eat, and be connected to your loving Savior and faithful God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.